Welcome to episode 30 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies Podcast. I am your co-host, The Father, also known as Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, The Son, a.k.a. Jackson, Only Child, Central Virginia. <laughs> uh, we are a spoiler podcast. We spoil the movies we review, so be warned, and the one we're discussing today is the 2019 film, Parasite. I'm deadly serious. Alrighty, so we are, as we record this, we are a few hours away from the Oscars, Parasite nominated for Best International Film, Best Film, and so, um, are you going to watch the Oscars tonight? Yeah, I guess, if I have to. (laughs) No, I I am looking forward to it. I am interested to see what they'll do, because there are a a few really good picks, Um, obviously a few obvious snubs like Jordan Peele didn't get anything um Midsummer I don't think is isn't nominated for anything the White House is only nominated for one uh award so I'm kind of disappointed with the Oscars but we have some good ones like Marriage Story in there and we have obviously Parasite so it's exciting to see some things nominated so I I think I'll tune in but I probably won't watch the boring categories I don't know if I'm going to sit through all of them but definitely best picture yeah, it doesn't sound like once. What I'm seeing with the predictions, it doesn't sound like once upon a time in Hollywood is going to do well, which is uh, unfortunate because you mm-hmm. and I both really liked it. But yeah, absolutely. Oh, I was well. hoping I was hoping Tarantino would get Best Director, but I don't I don't think that's going to happen for him this year. No, nah, it looks like it's Sam Mendes here for 1917. So mm-hmm. we will see. So when this drops, we'll, everyone will know who the winners are. So all right, let's get that out of the way. We're talking about 2019's Parasite. Mm-hmm. You do not think it's a horror movie. Yeah, okay. Um let me let me preface this by saying sure. I, I the only reason I was taken aback by it not being as horror centric as I thought it would be is because I heard it on so many different horror podcasts, people talking about it. Um and I was like, "Oh, so it's like I heard dark comedy horror movie." So I'm like, "Oh, it's a mix of the two. It's a it's a dark comedy drama with one horror scene." I would say two horror scenes, maybe one horror scene and one horror shot that's unconnected from that scene um, and the movie. And I would say the rest is kind of a dark comedy, which I'm not I'm not ragging on the movie. I still think it was fantastic. And you'll you'll see that reflected in my review and rating. But it definitely is not straight horror in any way. And I think that might be why the Academy is acknowledging it, because it is mostly a drama and they love those. Yeah, I I do categorize it as a horror film, but I completely understand why others don't. Um, it certainly has a lot of dark comedy elements to it, mm-hmm. to 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 be sure. But as Dr. Rebecca McKendry from Fangoria and and USC, where she teaches horror, she's argued horror is in the eyes of the beholder. Um, I agree with that. I mean, some people are absolutely terrified by The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. not a horror movie to me, but I, I know people that just since they're kids get freaked out by the flying monkeys and, and, mm-hmm. and everything else. You know, to me, after working for years in Hollywood and then politics and then spending eight years fundraising with people of means, 
I can see the horror here. Um, but I can see why others don't. So I consider it a horror movie. I understand why others don't. It was initially marketed in South Korea as a horror movie. Sure. Yeah, and I think that's because there's a big market for that over there. Um, uh, for some reason, it seems like overseas are more accepting of horror as a legitimate genre rather than here in America where it's kind of looked down upon. Yeah, yeah, I, I agreed. That's unfortunate, but it seems to be a Western phenomenon where they look down on horror movies. It's a kind of a European, English, North American thing rather mm-hmm. than a South American or uh, Asian thing. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we see we see a lot of great horror movies coming out of like um, Argentina and uh, South Korea. I mean, Train to Busan was getting so much hype uh, in years past, and that was you know critically acclaimed over there. So I guess we're seeing a trend that South Korean horror is successful and well made. Yeah, and yeah, there, and also the whaling, which came out of South Korea, which is just absolutely amazing, and out of Mexico with tigers are not afraid. There, there's just some great stuff, you know, coming out from other, uh, um, overseas. Um, and one, I think, another reason why people were willing to label it horror, along with uh, Bong Joon Ho, who has Ho has said, said that he is perfectly okay with calling it a horror movie. Um, is that, of course, it, it shares a lot of thematic elements with his horror movie, The Host. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I you've seen that or not. I haven't seen it, but I did read up on it a little bit. I, d- I have heard of it. Um, I, I also have never seen Snowpiercer, which I know a lot of people are going to get angry at me uh, for. It's a great um, movie. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen Okja yet. But I will see those two movies and maybe The Host. I'll look into seeing that. All right. So it was my number two horror film of the year this year. I stick by it. But I understand why others would, would just label it largely a, a black comedy. But you would agree that especially at the end, it goes full yeah. horror. Yeah, it is definitely horror. And that garden party scene, I mean, we're a spoiler podcast. We can talk about it. Yeah. Uh, the garden party scene is a horror scene, no doubt about it. I mean, it's gruesome. It's freaky. Uh, we've got that guy who's been living in the basement with those crazy eyes and the blood all over his face <laughs> yeah. um, from from smashing Kevin's head with that scholar rock. But um, he I mean, when he when he when he's running at him with, at Jessica with that knife or I guess that's not a real name. That's her that's her made up con man name. Uh, I was like, okay, so this is where the horror comes in. But then after that scene, we kind of step back and we get more of a psychological horror with the right. ending, which is a like very depressing and bleak <laughs> and almost uh, reminded me of Hereditary, like the earlier parts of Hereditary with this right. feeling of loss and uh, denial, which is kind of a, a theme that we've been seeing through the 2010s and now into the 2020s. Um, with horror films so that was interesting but for me mostly it was a black comedy drama and a lot of the comedy just basically comes with how stupid these rich people are and how these the, the poor family the chem family is outsmarting the park family by doing the simplest stuff i mean they're basically conning them out of i mean so much uh time and and effort they're 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 uh, firing all the people that work for them so they can weasel themselves in. And the Park family is just like thinking this is all they're doing. They have no idea. So um, that's where the black comedy comes in. This is also a social commentary in the same way that Get Out is. And that is actually an interesting parallel, I think, between Get Out and Parasite because they're both social commentaries, black comedies, and horror movies near the end. So um, kind of an interesting parallel, and I'm interested to see where that theme kind of goes on as we go into the future. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk more about that theme in a minute. But I guess 
<clears throat> I felt comfortable calling it a horror film in a year that most people, a lot of people anyway, are calling the Joker a horror film. Yeah. Um, that's something I have problems with. I mean, I love Jay of the Dead, right? But right. Joker was his number one horror movie of, of 2019. And, uh, I love Joker. I gave it, I think, a four out of five stars on Letterboxd. Um, but it isn't a horror movie. Uh, it's, it, it's, I guess it's a horror movie in the same way Taxi Driver is. Uh, Parasite is much more of a horror film than Joker, I think. And I will, I will support people who say Parasite is a horror movie, but I can't stand by Joker being a horror movie. Okay. All right. Well, I actually haven't seen it yet, so... I need to see it, but I just haven't had time. But let's talk about what you thought of Parasite as a whole, as a film, as an aspiring filmmaker. And you just saw this, what, yesterday? Yep, yesterday. So, you know, for people who haven't read your Letterboxd review, what's your just overall, you know, thoughts on Parasite? Well, uh, I liked it. I think that's obvious. I loved it, in fact. I would go so far as to say that. Uh, near the end, when I talk about my ratings, I want to talk about where I would place it in my top 10 of the of the year uh, because I hadn't seen it at the point when we did that podcast. And I want to kind of go back and retro retroactively um, edit that. But as a whole, I thought it was really well made, beautiful cinematography. The acting was convincing all around. The writing, which was done by the director himself, was all fantastic. And the editing, I think, was one of the things that a lot of people weren't mentioning, but it was fantastic, especially um, I watched this one video essay about the montage scene where the family, the Kim family, is trying to get the housekeeper fired um, by making it look like she has TB, of all things. So right. that whole scene, four minutes long, so beautifully edited, no fat at all, everything it does sets up something that happens later in the montage, and it delivers the entire meaning of the film almost concisely in those four minutes. So the editing is a really key feature here, I think. It's not that long. It's about two hours and seven minutes, but it really flew past for me. Uh, I was thinking about watching this in two separate parts, but I ended up just watching it all the way through because it was so captivating. You can't really stop this movie when you start it because mm -hmm. one problem leads to another, and you're like, okay, well, now i got to know how this gets resolved. There's no time to just kind of sit around and be like, oh, this is where the movie is now because it's constantly changing states. It's kind of like it's constantly in a chemical reaction. So... Uh, Parasite, I would say, is not for the faint of heart, not because it's gory, but because it's kind of depressing, and it paints this picture of, like, an urban paradox, this, uh, disproportionate amount of, uh, of wealth and their extravagance and all the privileges they have to the poor, and the, the wealthy in South Korea, as, as Bong Joon-ho portrays it in this movie, they live in these mansions up in the hills, where all the rain does is just kind of, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. kind of squash their camping plans. I, I was reading a review, and it, it kind of talked about this, um, and the poor who live in these semi-basements, I mean, they're essentially living underground. They get all flooded with sewage water from the rich up, up above the, uh, uh, in the hills. So it's, it's kind of painting this picture of resentment between the poor and the rich and the, the poor thinking, you know, I'm do this. I'm whatever means I need uh, to, to, to use to get wealth and power. I need to use them because I'm not going to get a chance otherwise. So it's a social commentary in that way. 
Yeah, I liked your observation about the rain. It just it, it's there almost in between the raindrops, right? Whereas right. everyone else is getting flooded. Um, I agree with you on the editing too. I thought it was excellent. I thought every you know uh, technical aspect of this film was excellent, mm-hmm. and we can talk more about that. But it won the SAG Award for Best Ensemble Cast Performance, mm-hmm. and I think it deserved it. And I think one of the reasons why individuals in the cast haven't been as widely recognized with more award nominations was because the whole cast was so strong. It's hard to kind of, you know, yep. pick a performance. What do you think? Oh yeah, definitely. It's not like a movie like Marriage Story where you can say, oh, Laura Dern was great. Oh, ScarJo was great. Adam Driver, sure. This is a movie where everybody is on the same level. They're all kind of thinking the same things. And a lot of that, I think, is due to Bong Joon-ho's script, which, as I've like looked through this movie, I'm reading the subtitles, and I'm just blown away by how eloquent, yet concise and like easy to understand the whole script is. Um, and that's because this narrative is so strong, and the characters in it really feel like real people. I think the actors can connect to the characters and uh, deliver a great performance because of that. I mean, I was watching this behind-the-scenes video where the director and one of the cast members, I think it was the guy that played Kevin, um, that's his made-up American name, at least, uh, he is talking with the director, and the actor seems to know more about his character than the director, who also wrote the character. (laughs) So, I mean, I think he's made up his own story in his head, and that's really the sign of a great script, when an actor can see it and visualize this person in their head and really become them. Uh, So I think a lot of credit should go to Ho for that, because he did a great job. Yeah, and, and he's worked with a number of these actors several times, so he's obviously comfortable with them. But And that was actually my next note, was to talk about the screenplay. And one of the things I really like is the characters. None of them are flawless. I mean, we would have to say that if we were judging them in real life as human beings, we'd say a little slimy. But at the same time, I found myself anyway somewhat sympathetic and found some of them likable. What about you? Yeah, I was definitely more on the side of the Kims, which are the poor family. Uh, I was more on their side until, I think, the end. There's a turning point for me, which is when uh, the Kims discover that the housekeeper has been keeping her husband underneath the park's house. (laughs) And the, and, uh, the mother is so quick to disassociate herself with the housekeeper, even though they're doing the exact same thing. They're both illegally living in this rich family's house, yet she's going to call the cops on the housekeeper. And that just kind of turned me against her. I'm like, okay, really? You're going to turn in your own, basically? She's doing the same thing as you. She's just trying to make it by. She's trying to provide for her husband and keep out of the semi-basements that you were living in, and you're going to call the cops on them. So I kind of turned on her from there, um, at least her character. And then uh, the, the, the dad does some stuff. I mean, the whole family just starts to do some stuff where I'm like, okay, well, now they're just taking advantage of uh, the parks. And, and they're, not, they're not just living. If, if they were just, like, conning their way into a living where they could just live comfortably and have a job, that'd be fine. But they try to take more and more, I feel like, and they're getting more and more overzealous as the film goes on. Um, and the breaking point for them is when their house is flooded. From that point forward, I think they're they're ready to do anything to just kind of uh, take over the Park family for their own their own uh, gain. The garden party scene, which we mentioned earlier, that that hor- horrific scene, we see Mr. Kim, the dad mm-hmm. in the family, the driver. He kind of uh, starts to grow resentful of Mr. Park because. Um, 
he's, you know, basically telling him, I'm better than you. I'm paying you. You'll do whatever I want. You'll, you'll dress up in this ridiculous costume and do whatever I want at this party. Demean yourself because I'm paying you and you need the money. So I can just control you and, and do whatever I want. Um, and that's, I think, when his mind snaps and when he decides to kill Mr. Park, which was kind of out of left field for me when I was first watching it. I was like, OK, why is Mr. Kim killing Mr. Park all of a sudden? Uh, doesn't he want to keep this charade up? Why is he why is he killing him? And then I realized it's a culmination of everything. Mr. Park has been so ignorant of of the Kim's plight, basically, throughout the entire movie. Um, I think one of my favorite parts is when. Mr. Kim is driving Mrs. Park in the car, and uh, she's talking about how the rain is so cleansing, and it just blew, it made the skies all blue and, <laughs> and the air pollution. And he's sitting there. He just waded through his house uh, trying to save his belongings and, and save everything that was near and dear to him. And right. she's like, oh, the rain. And then he had to sleep in a gym overnight. Uh, again, I think I read this in a review by Insider uh, about the rain being cleansing in this motif in the movie. So I've kind of exp exp expounded. Is that a word? Yeah. Uh, I've, I've kind of expounded on that. Um, basically, this resentment grows between the rich and the poor because the rich don't understand like how life is for the poor. They just think everyone lives like they do. You know what I mean? So um, yeah. That's definitely a... Or they just don't think about anyone but themselves. I mean, one sure. or the other. And they're, they're in their own little bubble. Right. And it's it's one of those things where we've had a fairly warm, you know, winter here in Ohio. And a number of people have complained, well, but it's bad for sickness and it's going to wear a mosquito. So I'm like, yeah, but we also have a large homeless population. And I think yeah. they're pretty cool with, you know, not yeah. freezing to death. Um, but but and that, but that's not because I'm just a better person. It's just because I did street ministry for so long um, that I even think about it. It's very easy not to think about it. Right. It's very easy to get into our bubbles, which which led me to my next you know note here is. What is Bong uh, Joon-ho trying to say? What's the moral of this story, if there is one? Well, in my Letterboxd review, I came to a couple conclusions. My first one, like, originally was, okay, so the whole point of the movie is don't be a con man. Don't be greedy because you'll get your comeuppance. And while that seems like an airtight theme for the movie, it kind of isn't. Because Bong Joon-ho presents the Kim family as sympathetic. And that they don't really have a way up other than to con their way in. And it works for them for a while. But is it worth it? I guess that's a question posed by the director. Um, later on, uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when the mother, Chung Suk, talks about uh, how the rich are only nice because they're rich. And if they were poor, they would understand what it means to be miserable. And, and they would do anything to get rich again. Um and I think that is also a motif that if that everybody's the same, it's just about your surroundings. Your your setting kind of determines uh, how your outlook on the world will be. And I think that that is true for for Bong Joon Ho. And I think that's how he he um, you know what he centered this film around. It's it's kind of this idea that the rich have this totally different you know, outlook on life and they can never truly understand what it's like to be poor until the poor kind of subjugate them in some way or another. Um, 
And even when this Kim family is kind of controlling the Park family in their own kind of mm-hmm. way, they're playing mind games with them, they still think that the Kim family are kind of like dogs just to be ordered around. Like, oh, pay Mr. Kim two more dollars and we'll get him to haul you around all day and and, and uh, put off yeah. whatever he's doing. Um, they just think that they're they're animals, that they can do whatever. But in reality, the Kim family is actually you know controlling them. Yeah. Now, Bong Joon-ho uh, is on record as saying that he believes the world is so divided, whether it's South Korea or anywhere else, that it is now nearly impossible now for people of different circumstances to have a healthy relationship, that one naturally begins to feed like parasites on the other, that it's, it mm-hmm. goes both ways. Um, and so that's he said. So he's not according to him. I think everything you said is valid. But I, according to him, he's not really setting up either family as the hero or intentionally as sympathetic. I think maybe the actors had more to do with that. He's trying to make a commentary on that, you know, we are living in two different worlds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that we're either it's either the rich using the poor to be more comfortable. And as you said, treating them like, you know, like farm animals or it's the poor you know, trying to leech off the rich because they believe they deserve it. They they don't deserve it. You know, it's that kind of it's a parasitic rather than a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of world we now live in. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. That is definitely the theme. I think the moral that um, you're supposed to take away from this movie. And the first instance we see of that, obviously, is uh, Kevin and Min, um, you know, his friend trust uh kevin and i need to pull up his real name i don't know that's just what they call him because when he's conning his way in as a tutor Mm -hmm. but um uh men trust kevin with his his uh student because oh he wouldn't try anything you know he he's too below these people to even attempt anything he trusts him uh unlike his 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 colleagues at college who are you know on his level financially um, and what, what, and the irony is that the tutor right. is also trying to get in with the family and try to marry the daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and we see Kevin actually mirror men later on. I mean, at the beginning, men says, you know, when I get back from the summer, I'm going to ask her to be my girlfriend. And then Kevin says the exact same thing later on, almost like he's he's falling into this character. He's actually becoming this person. But uh, it's it's parasitic between men and Kevin as well, because not only is men, you know, he 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 only trusts Kevin because he's he's poor and he won't try anything. Kevin is seeing this as an end. He's he sees this as an absolute win. So he's hesitant at first because he's not sure what it entails. But then once he knows it's possible, he's ready to recommend his whole family for hire there and, and kind of weasel them in. And it wouldn't be possible for men, but he's completely forgotten. Like kind of halfway through the movie, we see that as as Kevin makes a move on his young tutor. So mm-hmm. or is uh, what do you call a, a a student of a tutor? A like a two D? <laughs> a two D. <2D. laughs> I think well, a student is just fine yeah well that that's that's the first instance we see that i think that's the most concise but yeah every character is basically feeding off of each other in some way or another right now the filmmaker uh bong joon ho is a big hitchcock fan Mm -hmm. yeah we see hitchcock in this movie yes 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 he pays uh uh, homage to the master suspense throughout the movie including the voyeur scenes which of Mm -hmm. course hitchcock was was big on uh people looking on others the prominence of stairs, which Hitchcock mm-hmm. was big on. Oh, yeah, and definitely. It, and if you look closely, the family has what? 
uh, Hitchcock collection, either Blu-ray exactly. or DVD. I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had that whole wall full of like DVDs and Blu-rays. That was that was pretty awesome. I wish I had that. You know, just I think they have like leather you're just binders. Just about do. You're about, you're about ready to have to move out of your room. Yeah, yeah. I do easy. actually. I'm gonna need to buy another IKEA bookshelf because I do have about 50 movies that aren't fitting on the bookshelf right now. But I'm I'm afraid to do that because that's a big commitment. Once I get a new shelf, I won't <laughs> stop until I fill that one up, and then I'll have more excess that I'll have to get another shelf. So it'll just turn into a whole thing. So right now it's just sitting on top of my shelf kind of ramshackle but you know whatever yeah i'm gonna have to get a third job just to pay for what shout factory does to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah exactly but you love them i do i do so um now i didn't know this till today um and i haven't i haven't looked at the blu-ray yet um and so i don't know if this has happened or not um but i'm gonna hold off on buying it uh, spoiler alert on my recommendation, but I'm going to hold off on buying it because Bong Joon-ho says he wants to release a version of this in black and white. Ooh, that'll be great. Yeah, I think that will work because this movie is, um, it, it does use color well, but it's also got this beautiful symmetry and this contrast to it uh, yeah. with, with like, the, I mean, we see that in the rich people's house, right? The park house is... Um, this beautiful symmetric kind of like blocky kind of cubist house. And I would love to see that in black and white. I think that would be beautiful. Um, It worked for Logan. That's all I'm going to say. When I saw Logan in black and white, I was blown away. I think that's how it should have been presented. But of course it wouldn't have reached as wide an audience. Uh, I think the same is true with the lighthouse. I think a lot of people would have preferred if it was in color, like the witch, but that's not what the director wanted to do. I mean, it's, you know, stylistic, whatever. I'm looking forward to that. Have you heard of anything about a director's cut for Parasite? Because I'm interested to see if there's anything that was left on the cutting room floor. I have not, but I'd be interested. Like I said, I haven't looked at the Blu-ray yet because when I heard he say he was coming out with a black and white version, I thought, well, I'm going to wait to make sure it has that because, Mm -hmm. you know, um, sorry, Gilman Joel, but I love The Mist. But version of The Mist in black and white is so much creepier. It's so much. And it makes the CGI look better. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't look nearly as clunky in black mm-hmm. and white. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to see this in black and white. Um, so let's talk about some more of the technical things, the cinematography here. Mm-hmm. I was blown away by it. Beautiful. Yeah, I mean, uh, the camera is almost like a character of its own, and I know you hear a lot of reviewers say it, but it is really present in this movie and that it, it depends on what the scene is, like how the camera acts. If it's a really slow plotting scene, the camera slowly moves and zooms, and it's this extremely wide-angle lens. But then when there's something frantic happening, like, oh, I don't know, the family's coming in, coming home in eight minutes, and they have to clean up this huge mess, and these two people that they've just discovered, um, the camera is really tight in, and it's, it's really jarring and, and uh, frantic. So the cinematography really works to the benefit of this movie. It's beautiful. I think it should have been nominated. If it's not, it should have been nominated for cinematography because I think it's on par with The Lighthouse, if not better. Yeah, it's and you mentioned um, the wide-angle shots. You know, Bong Joon-ho said he did that on purpose mm-hmm. because you know he wanted as many people, especially when he had shots, because there are very few shots in this film of just one person. Right. And mostly at the beginning and the end with right. uh, Kevin on his phone. Right. It's it's a lot of it is that, you know, 
um, trying to get as many people in the shot as well, because the family's in a lot of shots together, right? I mean, it's just, and he wanted that. Right. Yeah, it really populates this, like, the house is so big, it would feel empty and desolate, but when you have this, like, these action-packed kind of frantic scenes, you want as many people racing uh, to and fro as possible. I think the best example of fitting as many people in a scene as possible is when, uh, um, the housekeeper, the old housekeeper, is trying to come up the stairs and warn uh, the mother of the Park family that, uh, you know, the, the Kims are all part of the same family, all these people working for them are part of the same family. And uh, the the mother walks over, kicks the, the housekeeper down the stairs, then you can see the husband of the Kim family in the stairs dragging the body away while the mother of the Park family walks in. And it's like five people on screen just mixing in and out, and your eyes are racing across the thing trying to figure right. out what's going to go. And um, I think he did that on purpose just to kind of give you a fly-on-the-wall perspective of this whole thing where it's easy to see how if you were – uh, a park, a member of the park family, you wouldn't see any of this happening because they're so quick and efficient uh, at at getting all this stuff cleaned up and and out of the way. That you know, if you're this gullible uh, rich person, you're not going to notice any of it because it's not your concern. Well, I also think he wanted to show the groups as kind of one as much as he could. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely, and that definitely ties in. I mean, I saw a poster design. Uh, I think it's the South Korean poster design where it's it's almost a reference to it. I mean, not it, us, uh, in that uh, you have the Park family up top and then their mirror image of the Kim family, almost mm-hmm. like what the Park family could have been were they not so uh, financially, you know, lucky, so so um, well off. So uh, it, it, there is a lot of juxtaposing. I mean, even when we cut from the slums in South Korea to these, like, basically the Beverly Hills of the area, uh, it's jarring. I mean, it's so clean up there. There's shrubbery. And then the only plants we ever see down in the slums are being peed on by a, by a drunk homeless yeah. guy. Yeah. So uh, I, I do like that, that juxtaposition. It's, it's really interesting. Well, you brought up the cinematographer, whether it was nominated for an Academy Award. It was not. Um... It was nominated for Best Picture. It's been nominated for Best Director, Best International Feature Film, Best Original Screenplay, Best Production Design, and Best wow. Film Editing. Yeah, I think it deserves definitely editing, uh, Best International. Um, I, I, I'm like I said earlier, I'm rooting for Quentin Tarantino for Best Director, but it, it does deserve that in screenplay, I think, in some ways. But, mm-hmm. um. I hope this movie going forth, even past the Oscar season, uh, will be acknowledged by critics because I, th- I think it will stand the test of time. I mean, the social commentary isn't something that's only relevant to this time, 2019. Uh, it's something that's existed since the Middle Ages. I mean, this disproportionate amount of people, uh, you know, you've got like the, the, uh, the famous uh, phrase to describe them as the 1%. Um, but it's true mm-hmm. in this movie, the way it's portrayed. And that no, the, absolutely. Parks, the parks are living in this castle, essentially. So it's relevant, you know, stretching across decades. And I think it'll stay that way. Now, according to what I'm, everything I've read, um, and some people say this is an outside shot at winning Best Picture tonight behind 1917. Mm. And according to IMDb, this is the first South Korean film to be nominated for Best Picture at an yep. Academy Award. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, 
I'm not so sure it'll win. I think 1917 obviously is is a, a kind of an Oscar bait film. I mean, it's a war movie, yeah. a war drama. Uh, they love those. An epic. But, um, yeah, exactly. Epics and, and with uh, with a gimmick and drama. Um, they do love those. But Parasite is I even if it doesn't win Best Picture. I think a lot of people will will know it as best picture in their hearts because I'm seeing a lot of people who usually aren't in the horror genre or even don't appreciate international films praising this movie just because it appeals to everybody. Even if you don't usually like these kinds of movies, it sucks you in right away. I mean, it really reels you in with the story. It's very infectious and easy to follow, and uh, you find yourself kind of warring with your own emotions as you go through the movie, trying trying to figure out who you sympathize with because it's not clear cut, like you mentioned earlier. Um, it's 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 not like a classic good and evil tale. It's more like muddy, you know, kind of chaotic good, chaotic neutral. There's lots of different mixes of of uh, thematic elements, but um, I'm interested to see what the wider populace thinks of it. I mean, obviously, not not that many people like in the general movie going uh population are going to be talking about this i i haven't heard a single person at my school talk about parasite but i'm going to change that pretty soon i got i got to spread that around <laughs> um because it is something people appreciate it's you know last i checked it made over 130 million dollars worldwide but sure. it only made about yeah. 30 million here yeah um <clears throat> so it is a huge hit because it was made for between 11 and 13 million so that's mm-hmm. a huge hit um are you rooting for it tonight for best international film? Yes, definitely. That's my pick for best international film. I haven't seen uh, like Honeyland or any of those films. I'm really behind on 2019's like movies outside of horror, but um, I think, I think it is my pick for best international best editing, maybe best original screenplay, perhaps Um, though. I'm not sure what else are in those categories. What are their movies? Um, but I, I'm really, I'm really hoping for it to get recognized and for the cast and crew to, to stand up there and, uh, kind of, you know, say, Hey, horror can be done well. And for people to appreciate it, even though they're going to call it not horror, like we saw with get out and they're going to call it a, a thriller, a drama, uh, it can be recognized. Yeah. <clears throat> and before we go to our ratings and recommendations, <clears throat> what did you think of the score? Uh, the score is one of the things I actually noticed the least, and I think that's a good thing, because when a score is good, it works to propel the action, to propel the narrative and the editing, but it doesn't draw too much attention to itself, um... And one of the pieces I did I did notice was a classical kind of piece in the in the montage scene, and the reason it stood out to me is because it was kind of quick paced and and upbeat, happy almost. Uh, and what was happening was not happy. I mean, they were getting this housekeeper who had worked there for like fifty years fired by accusing her of being infected with with tuberculosis. So not a happy scene, but but the, it was almost presented from the Kim family's uh, perspective. So I think that's one of the the wonders of movie music is that it can it can really change your views on what's happening. Right. So uh, the score this the score was one of the things I noticed the least. Um, I'm sure it was masterful, and I, if I look back on the movie and I, I like took took another rewatch of it and tried to listen out for it, I'm sure I can notice lots of masterful things. But I didn't notice that much on my first viewing. Well, we're definitely going to have to uh, take a look at it when it comes out in black and white if that happens, and see if we notice uh, 
more of it. <clears throat> I apologize for my coughing fit. Got a catch in my throat. Um, uh, hopefully so, you don't have to sprinkle hot sauce into your uh, tissues there. <laughs> uh, I didn't know anybody was allergic to peaches either. Um, yeah, well, I never heard of that either. Why specifically peaches and not like other fruits? That came from what I read on IMDb that Bong Joon-ho had a friend who's allergic to peaches. So he put that really? in there for that reason. Yeah. Well, there you go. Horror speaking to real life. It's applicable yeah. in all kind of uh, realms of learning. I, I didn't, didn't know such a thing existed, but yeah, now you do. all right. So what else do you want to talk about when it comes to Parasite? Uh, I don't have that much more to say. Uh, I, the ending kind of uh, jarred me a little bit and that the rest of the ending, I mean, the last half an hour were very uh, quickly cut together. It's, it's very uh, fast paced. And then the ending kind of took a step back and was really slow and methodical, bleak, and depressing. And I'm wondering what you thought of that, because I was kind of uh, left wanting on my first viewing. I did actually rewatch just the ending, because I wanted to see if it made more sense if I just re like rewatched it, really zoned into the ending. But it kind of came out of left field for me, like, uh, tonally. In that mm. it, we, we had just come from a, a horror scene, then he wakes up from a coma, and everything's just slow-moving. Um, almost wrapping everything up. It was really bleak, and there really is no resolution. I mean, they started in this semi-basement, semi and they were all together, and they end in the semi-basement with one dead and one trapped inside a house. So they're worse off than they began. I guess that's kind of driving home the idea that don't con, it's, it's going to cost you. But I was wondering what you thought of that. You know, when, on my initial viewing, when I put it on Letterboxd, I said that I didn't think it stuck the landing. The, the more I think about it, I'm not so sure. And again, I read the you know a blurb from Bong Joon Ho who said, "Well, you know he he understood that he's understands that he's been criticized for the ending, mm -hmm. um, but he said that look, he said when he was writing, he said that's a realistic ending. He sure. said let's he let's face it, otherwise it would be movie magic to take it in another direction. It, this is a realistic ending, and mm -hmm. that's why he stuck with it." And he thinks that, you know, to do otherwise would have muted, you know, his commentary on what was going on. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And it is realistic, but I would say a lot of the movie isn't realistic. Um, it kind of took me out of it. But then when I look back on it, it was poetic in a way. It was it was uh, kind of beautiful. I think what I wrote in my letterbox saying was that it was hard to be ripped away from this world that I lived in for over two hours uh, kind of sympathizing with these characters along with the ride. Then I was ripped out of it with this really bleak ending and just like a promise of possible hope in the future. But one of the things I read about was that uh, the score during this scene, going back to what you're talking about with the score, um, it, uh, it it's a song called 561 day Years or something like that. And the reason it's called that is because that's how long it would take for the son to buy the mansion that his dad is in uh, realistically with the wages he's making. Uh, so it's not happening anytime soon, basically, is what the score is subliminally trying to tell us. Um, right. don't, don't, don't think that this is, this is all going to be resolved in a little bow like, uh, like Kevin hopes it will be. He says, um, you know, I'm going to come and I'm going to buy the mansion and everything's going to be great. You're just going to have to walk up those stairs but it's not going to turn out like that for uh, for the Kim family. Yeah, it's almost like the father at the end is almost consigned to a type of purgatory. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I also read, a, I think it was a YouTube comment, actually, on the trailer for Parasite, um, saying that it was it was almost like the father had traded places with the husband of the housekeeper, and that he was now living underneath this house. Uh, he had wanted to live in this house. He, he had been aspiring to live in a house like that, and now he was in a house like that, but it cost him his freedom. He couldn't leave it, and right. uh, I think he came to realize that it's not about living in a fancy house. It's about you know living in it with people you love. Right. All right, so <clears throat> what do you rate Parasite, and what's your recommendation? I would call this a 9 out of 10. Okay. Uh, which is so recently on my letterboxd I've been doing uh, reviews based on objective rating and enjoyment value I think since my letterbox review I would say I'd probably place it objectively at a 9 out of 10 but enjoyment value at a 9.5 out of 10 because the narrative mm. is so strong mm-hmm. um, as far as my recommendation would go I rented it obviously you rented it for me uh, because I, I saw it was on Prime which was very exciting to me I mean it's so quick It had just gone out of theaters less than a month ago. Um, And uh, I watched it that night and then the morning after. Um, I don't, I would say high priority rental or buy once a black and white or director's cut, whatever comes first, comes out. Right. So that you can experience it in whatever way the director thinks you should. Um, Because it was a strong movie, but I'm wondering if he had full creative control of a release, just what he would do with that. Um, so I would call it a high priority rental for now. If you see something that intrigues you, go ahead and buy it. Yeah, I know. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater, uh, back in November when I was in Kansas city, I saw it there, fell in love with it. I thought about it a lot since then. And I went back, looked at my letterbox review on it. I gave it a 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. I stick by it. I think it's a masterpiece with legs. I think this is a movie people are going to be talking about for a long time. I think it could open up um, uh, more films coming from South Korea to get wider notice in the United States as they deserve. So I call it a buy, though. I, I'm with you. If there's a possibility we're going to get a director's cut or a black and white or both, I'm going to wait for that. That's that's what I want. So, But if you haven't seen it, which I'm sure you have if you've gone through the spoiler review or you don't care, I'm telling you, you should care. You need mm-hmm. to see parasite yes definitely um and i I just want to talk about one more thing before we finish not about the movie itself but just about uh, kind of a correction of sorts and that i made my top 10 list of 2019 without seeing parasite which is a major oversight on (laughs) my part uh just kind of you know one of the things that fell through the cracks and i want to talk about where it would land on my list because it landed very high on your second place Yep, and uh, I think that's where it's gonna rest for me as well. Second place, wow. right, right beneath the lighthouse. Um, it's I think the lighthouse edges it out just because I just loved that story so much. I mean, the the two uh, you know wikis just kind of going crazy, so entertaining to watch. But Parasite, I think, is probably it's definitely actually more appealing to a wider audience, and for that, I have to praise it because. It's going to draw more people into the slight horror, social commentary, drama kind of territory rather than something like The Lighthouse would where you really have to be a film buff to sit through that entire thing. So I think it's going to be number two uh, on my list of my top ten of 2019. That's, that's a little bit of a, of a reduction and redaction from my um, my list. So there you go. I don't blame you. It's like it says two for me, two for you. It's a great film. 
Um, I don't know if you saw this or not. The Fangoria Chainsaw Awards dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I voted on that, but I haven't seen the the, the uh, results yet. Well, I'm very proud of the horror community, even though they snubbed mm-hmm. us for Best Picture. Best Picture was Midsummer. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that scored very high on my 2019 list. I, I was impressed by that because usually mm-hmm. horror fans who subscribe to Fangoria are usually not their cup of tea. But I hate. Yeah, I'm proud of you guys, you know, because I, I, I had some problems with Midsummer, but I did love it. Sure. It made my top 10 list. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also, I think, snubbed by the Oscars. I think it's I think Midsummer, Us, The Lighthouse are superior to a lot of films that got nominated this mm-hmm. year, to be honest. I mean, I liked Marriage Story a lot. <clears throat> I liked The Two Popes a lot, you know, but I, I think those movies are stronger. Um, yeah, I would I would say that definitely cinematography wise that Us, Midsummer, and um, Parasite are stronger than most of the cinematography um, picks in for the Oscars this year. One of the things I saw was that Ford versus Ferrari is for Best Picture, and I don't understand yeah. how that's above something like Us or uh, or Midsummer, <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> I don't um, know either. I don't know either. Yeah, you know, it's whatever. it's not a, it's not a bad film, but I don't think no. it's at that level. It was entertaining, but I don't think it was masterful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, all right, well, that is our uh, our review of Parasite. We know some of you don't consider it a horror movie. <clears throat> You're wrong. Um, <laughs> but so we will be back next week, and you know, I'm thinking we'll talk about this. I'm thinking, you know, we've done our horror Oscars. We've done our top ten list. We've done. Parasite. I think it's time we go low rent and maybe do a slasher or something. Oh yeah, that'll be fun. That'll mix it up from. We're getting too uh, too scholarly too here. Too highbrow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, us horror fans, all we like are, are some some blood and some good kills. So we're gonna look into that. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll talk about doing a slasher next time. So because we do love our slashers. So all right, buddy. Where can they find you on social media? On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. And uh, you can find it my YouTube channel. I've got that linked in the, in the bio on both of my profiles. All righty. So <clears throat> they can find me as uh, Pastor Matt R on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can also check out our website at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. And we have a Twitter account and an Instagram account. We would appreciate if you subscribe uh, to this podcast, rate and review our podcast. We would appreciate retweets and a five-star review. And uh, we've got a lot more coming for you for 2020. So, but, uh, oh yeah, I think I think it's time to kind of <clears throat> look through Amazon Prime and Shudder and just find a good slasher that we can mm-hmm. enjoy that we haven't, haven't covered yet you know I was, I was thinking we got valentine's day coming up on friday i thought well we've already done my bloody valentine so sure <clears throat> but it's also women in history uh, women in horror month so maybe here in a couple weeks we'll pick something from there but oh man i think we just need a um, it's not a palate cleanser it's actually the exact opposite we need a mm-hmm. but uh, i think we need to go low rent next time and maybe do uh do something a little gory and fun and stupid that we just like right Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't want to thank while watching movies. What are you, crazy? (laughs) Well, we thank you for listening and hope you tune in next time. So say goodbye to the good people, buddy. Goodbye, and remember to cling to your scholarly stones, whatever that (laughs) is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So remember, folks, that the family that watches horror movies stays together. See you next time.